Well, good morning, Grace Chapel. Delighted to have you worshiping with us today, whether you're on any of our campuses, in the courtyard, GC at night, um, watching us at home. Just really glad that you all are here and um, praising God that we have the opportunity and the privilege to get to worship and freedom and spirit and truth. So this is an exciting day. I have a question for you. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have God interrupt your ordinary routine day with something surprising or even extraordinary. Some of you know my favorite vacation place is a small island off the coast of Portland, Maine, Long Island. It's where my mom and her eight siblings grew up in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And I'm looking for them. There they are. What a handsome gang. Now, you can't drive to our island like you can that other Long Island where Pastor Brian grew up. For our Long Island, there is no bridge. You have to take a ferry boat. So we pack all our groceries in coolers and banana boxes. We bring everything down on the boat, linens, towels, food, beach tears, pack and play for the grandbaby, toilet paper, beach toys, laundry soap, and videos and games just in case of a rainy day. Once we get to the island, we wait for the boat crew to offload our cargo onto the dock, and then we unwrap the shrink wrap, and we put everything in my sister's car, and my sister drives us up to the cottage that we rent for the week. And then we unpack her car, and we bring everything into the cottage, and we unpack the groceries and put everything away. We make up the beds. We set up the pack and play. We organize all the beach supplies, and then we start cooking dinner. Perhaps that sounds like a lot of work for vacation. You might be asking, how is this relaxing? Why do you go away just to have all the routine, ordinary things in a different place that's hard to get to, that has one bathroom and an outdoor shower? (laughs) The reason is because God surprises us day after day through his amazing creation. This is the view from the back deck of the cottage. Right in the middle of an ordinary day full of chores, God shows up and reveals something about himself that's so beyond the ordinary. All the effort of shopping, packing, driving in traffic up 95, loading things on and off the boat, it's all worth it to get to the cottage. It's like a thirst that has been building up in us all year long since we left the island a year ago. It's finally being quenched, and we drink it all in from morning until evening as we see the sun slowly setting over the mainland. But what about the other 51 weeks of the year? I have a confession to make. I can be going through my day-to-day routines of work and meetings and meetings and more meetings, and then home with meals and bills to pay and the dog hair to vacuum up and the cookies to get made and words with friends, of course, and not even think about where's God in all of this. I'm guessing you've had moments like that too. I can even sense a temptation to wonder, has my walk with God become routine, ordinary, In this sermon series called Life Beyond, we're exploring the meaning 
of eternal life. We want to consider not just eternal life, which we look forward to when we will experience life with God and with the communion of saints when our lives are completed here on earth, but also the eternal life that begins here and now when we experience life with God and become aware of his work all around us. So today I want us to consider life beyond the ordinary because life beyond the ordinary is not what we expect. We're gonna look at a story that disciple John gives us in his gospel, the fourth chapter, about someone who is going about her everyday routine, her ordinary tasks, not expecting anything extraordinary to happen. We don't know her name. She's often referred to as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. So I want you to in, I want to invite you to be an unseen spectator as we watch the story unfold. So it was almost noon. It's the hottest part of the day. And she is going to the well to draw water for the rest of the day. Usually people go early in the morning when it's cool. That's not really an option for her. See, she's probably the most whispered about woman in Sychar. That's the name of her town in Samaria, region of Israel, west of the Jordan River, with Galilee to the north and the city of Jerusalem to the south. Their town was fairly famous because it's where their ancestor Jacob first gave them the well where he could water his flocks when they first settled in the promised land. <laughs> Some promised land. They had believed and trusted for years that God someday was going to send a Messiah to, to rule God's people here. But all they seemed to get were invasions and occupations or, or being dragged off into exile. In fact, that's why the Samaritan people kind of got this bad name. Occupying armies had settled in this region for hundreds of years. They intermarried with the Jews and brought with them cultural influences and idols. So much so that the real Jews looked on Samaritans as half-breeds. And some would, if they had to travel from Jerusalem to Galilee, would go all the way around Samaria in order to avoid them. One of the ordinary tasks that women in the day had was to go and to fetch water for the day. Our Samaritan woman's story is a little more involved, even though her ordinary day is different from theirs. It was bad enough growing up a female in a culture where women were second class. Add to that the stigma of being a Samaritan and you can imagine that she didn't have the greatest self-image, and that showed in her personal life. Let's just say she didn't have the best track record with men, and everybody knew it. But we'll get to that in just a moment. So back to the ordinary traditions of women in that day, to go to the well. They would go in the early morning or, or late at night if they needed to get some more, but never in the middle of the hot, days with the noonday sun straight overhead having to carry that heavy jar of water back home. 
for our friend, it was just easier to do it then. Even though it was hot, even though it was laborious, she'd be alone. She wouldn't have to deal with the crowds. She wouldn't have to listen to the whispering and the gossip. She wouldn't have to deal with the stares of people looking at her and pointing at her. She could just go and be alone. One day, she headed off to the well, just like she'd done the day before, the day before that, the day before that. Only she received something she didn't expect. When she gets to the well, someone is sitting there. He's sitting there as though he's been waiting for her for some time, as though he was really expecting her to show up. But she was completely taken by surprise. Life beyond the ordinary, it's not what we expect. She could tell by his clothing that he was a Jew from Galilee. In fact, from what she'd heard in town, she started to think this might be that man, Jesus, the teacher who roams about the countryside with this bunch of fishermen. Perhaps they're taking the quick route from the city of Jerusalem up to Galilee by going straight through Samaria. But it was odd that he was sitting there at the well by himself. Where were the others? Well, perhaps they'd gone into town to get food. And as she approaches him, he does something that men in her culture rarely ever did. He made eye contact. And then he spoke to her. He looked her in the eye and he spoke with her. Men did not speak to women in public. Jews did not speak to Samaritans in public. Respectable people did not talk to people like her. People with a past. People with a reputation. People nobody else thought was worth talking to. But he did. Let's look at their interaction. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? He actually is asking her for a drink of water. She's stunned. You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? It's a perfectly understandable question. But Jesus does not give her a logical answer. He responds by saying, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If she knew the gift of God, what is the gift of God? And even if she knew that, she's supposed to ask him for water? Like he, a man, is going to serve her, a woman? Like he, a Jew, is going to serve her, a Samaritan? And how's he gonna do that? The well is deep and she's the one with the bucket. Where are you gonna get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Has he got some other kind of water that's even better than this? And as if she wasn't confused enough by this personal interaction with her and his insinuation that he has access to a different well that has living water, whatever that meant, he then goes on to say everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Hmm, water that will make her never be thirsty again? He had her attention now, for sure. 
the thought that she would not have to travel every single day in the middle of the day to the well to get water, not to have to try to avoid those gossiping crowds, not to have to deal with them staring at her and whispering, being reminded of who she is day in and day out. All these thoughts, I imagine, are shooting through her mind, and so she blurts out, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It was too good to be true. And she didn't quite get the whole picture. So let's step back for a moment. Jesus was not speaking of a different kind of water to drink which would quench an ordinary thirst. Raymond Brown, one of the most widely read commentators on the Gospel of John, explains the living water Jesus is offering this way. The living water is not eternal life, but leads to it. The very use of the symbol of water shows how realistically John thought of eternal life. Water is to natural life as living water is to eternal life. Just as our most basic need as human beings for life is water, our most basic need as spiritual beings is living water. The scriptures tell us that God has placed this void, he has placed this eternity in the hearts of every man and woman and young person and child. When we encounter Jesus, when we hear his teaching, the truth of his revelation, when we experience the Holy Spirit stirring in us a holy discontent, that's Jesus giving us living water. He's beginning to quench that thirst that is so deep down in our souls we have not even been aware of it. And our friend, the Samaritan woman, is about to discover that very truth in a somewhat unexpected way. Because life beyond the ordinary is not what we expect. So instead of telling her how she can get this miracle living water, Jesus says something she does not see coming. Go, call your husband and come back. Now why did he have to bring that up? Her story's going to get a lot more interesting. She told him, I have no husband. Then he said the most bizarre thing. What he said next, clearly, he is no ordinary man. He said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now remember, when we started her story, I mentioned that our friend did not have the best track record with men. Here it is. Jesus is right. She has had five husbands. And the guy she's living with now, she has not yet married. How did he know this? And if he's known this all along, all the more reason for him not to be giving her attention, not to be speaking with her in public, it's getting a little too personal. He's getting a little too close for comfort. So she does what any of us might be tempted to do. She changes the subject. (laughs) Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Always good to butter up the person that you're chatting with. (laughs) Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This was one of the other points of 
contention between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews taught that the right place to worship was at the temple in Jerusalem and that where the Samaritans worshiped on a nearby mountain was really not good enough. Even though she may have meant to change the subject in order to distract Jesus, as it turned out, Jesus actually did want to talk to her about worship. He said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So was Jesus saying the time is coming when it wouldn't matter where people worshiped, whether it was a mountain or a temple? Are times changing? Could it be that maybe God is actually preparing to send that Messiah that they've been waiting for? Well, Jesus is making a point that there is a shift coming from a place to worship to the manner of worship. And Raymond Brown puts it this way. Jesus is speaking of the eschatological replacement of temporary institutions like the temple. Of course he is. (laughs) Really glad he went on to explain that. It was Jesus himself who was to take the place of the temple. And here it is the spirit given by Jesus that is to animate the worship and replace worship at the temple. Notice that it is a question of worshiping the Father in spirit. God can be worshiped as Father only by those who possess the spirit that makes them God's children, the spirit that begets them from above. If you were here last week or you tuned in online, you heard Pastor Brian preach from the previous chapter in John's Gospel, chapter three. It was the encounter between Jesus and a very respected religious leader named Nicodemus. Jesus had told Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the spirit. And here we are in the very next chapter with Jesus explaining essentially the same thing to a woman who's probably the least respected of all the people in her town. He's telling her she can have this living water. She's receiving this revelation from Jesus himself, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and someday she too will worship in the Spirit and in truth. I imagine her just kind of standing there staring at him, looking deep into his brown eyes as they stare back at her, despite all that she's been through in her life, all the routines, the ordinary days, the heartbreaks, the disappointments along the way. Perhaps she's been clinging to this hope that someday God indeed was going to send someone that would rescue her from this and change her life. So she responds to him. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Can't you just see her? Her day had started like any other day, full of routines, 
And now she's looking into the very eyes of the Messiah. I imagine Jesus smiles and leans forward, maybe brushes her hand as he takes her arm and begins to tell her what she's been waiting to hear. Maybe what she was afraid to hear. Maybe what she thought she would never hear. He says to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Life beyond the ordinary is not what we expect. And then we're back to reality. Just then, his disciples return and were surprised to see him talking with a woman. So she ran. But she ran back to town, a different person, forgetting her water jar, forgetting why she had come to the well in the first place, forgetting the fact that she was out there in the middle of the day to avoid seeing anyone. She runs back to town, and she starts to speak to anyone who will listen to her. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come and see a man who knew everything about me, everything about me, and still he wanted to talk to me. Yes, me, I know, you all thought I wasn't worth talking to. Well, neither did I, frankly. But everything has changed. Could he be the Messiah? She came for an ordinary bucket of water and received something unexpected. So far beyond the ordinary, she wasn't even able to fully describe it. In that moment, it didn't matter what she had done in her past, what her lineage was or was not, whether she'd worshipped in the right place or ever even learned to worship at all. All that mattered was the thirst that was so deep down inside of her that she had tried to fill with everything the world had to offer her and yet had always left her feeling emptier than before. That thirst was now being quenched in this encounter with the Lord Jesus. Was it a coincidence that he happened to be at the well that day? Or was it some divine appointment of which she had been unaware? Here's how the story concludes. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Friends, Jesus is a man, was more than man, who broke cultural norms, who stepped over the boundaries of acceptable behavior to make personal connections with people. He lived, he walked this earth, he taught and did amazing things. All of that is recorded in the history books. But Jesus left the comfort of heaven. He took on the likeness of humanity, fully human and fully God. And he became obedient to the Father's plan to bridge a gap that had been created by a fallen and a broken humanity. Jesus became obedient to death upon a cross, and that cross is what bridges that gap. 
But the cross was not the end of the story. Jesus did not remain lifeless in the grave, but he rose to life three days later that following Sunday morning to once and for all break what keeps us bound and stuck in our sin, to conquer the eternal sting of death, and to give us this living water that quenches that thirst deep down in all of our souls, living water that leads us to eternal life. Though the history books may question it, I do not. Life beyond the ordinary is not what we expect. I have heard story after story after story from the Samaritan woman and other stories in the scriptures, from members of my own family to people here in our church family of those who have had extraordinary interruptions from God in the middle of their lives. My husband John and I support the daughter and son-in-law of one of my cousins. They serve with a mission agency in the South Islands of the Pacific. Two summers ago, when they were home on furlough, they told me a remarkable story. They met a man who had recently come to faith in Jesus Christ. However, the amazing part of the story had started 10 years earlier. He had been a faithful Muslim. He was on his knees in prayer at his mosque as he did every day when he had this sense he should open his eyes and look up. And when he looked up, there was a figure standing in front of him in brilliant white. And a voice came from that figure saying, go to your friend who is very ill, lay hands on him and pray for him in the name of Esau not understanding who that was, not understanding the full meaning of this vision, he obeyed. He proceeded to his friend's home, told him what he was supposed to do. He laid hands on him, and he prayed for complete healing in the name of Isa. Nothing happened. The man thanked him, and he went on his way back home. The next day, the man appeared at this gentleman's home, fully healed. They were both stunned. They thought, what kind of power is in this name, Isa? And for the next 10 years, they would pray over people. They would lay hands on people. They would pray for healing in the name of Isa. And it wasn't until 10 years later when they met someone who could tell them who Isa is, for Isa is the Arabic name for Jesus. They had been healing in the name of Jesus without knowing who he was. They became believers that day. Now I have another confession. I do not recall ever looking up and seeing the figure of Jesus right in front of me. That would not be an ordinary day for me. Frankly, I'm not really sure what I would do if I did. Well, I guess I could only imagine. Uh, a little sense of humor there. <clears throat> Just making sure you're all still weak. But here's what I have seen. I have seen a divorced couple who God brought back together and healed their marriage. I've seen a little boy who was rushed to the emergency room with something seriously wrong inside of him, probably needing surgery, suddenly healed because people were praying for him. I've seen it when two nine-year-old little girls walked into the lake at Camp of the Woods to proclaim their sweet, strong, deep faith in Jesus as Lord 
and were baptized for all to see with their parents and their faith parents from church standing by. I've seen it as seniors in high school are prayed for a whole church family who are committing to pray for them as they transition into the next chapter of their lives. I've also seen it when students pepper a high school math teacher for an hour and a half with questions about the Bible and Christianity, all spurred because somebody asked why they didn't get the Jewish holidays off. (laughs) But maybe that's more life beyond geometry. I'm not sure. But I've also seen it in this community of believers, of brothers and sisters in Christ who rally around one another when someone is grieving the death of a daughter gone way too soon, or a sister, or a grandfather. All while bearing witness to the hope we have in the resurrection, that there is a life beyond. Now just this past Friday afternoon, as I was finishing the message, I got a call from one of my cousins that the fifth of the five sisters in my mom's family went home to be with the Lord. Her four sisters and three brothers who had gone ahead of her welcomed her home. Friends, I literally would not be standing on this platform today preaching to you if it were not for those five women. They were not just my mom and four aunties. They were Christ for me. I saw Jesus in each of them because they had experienced life beyond what is here and now. They had experienced God intervening in their lives throughout their Christian walks. They modeled for me the way of Jesus. They helped me see life beyond the ordinary from the moment I said yes to Jesus 47 years ago. And today, with my Uncle Don, the last remaining of the nine siblings who faithfully remains nearby with his sweet bride, Auntie Cam, we have the sure and certain hope that there is an eternal life beyond and that we will see them again. In case you're wondering, Auntie Gwen is the one chatting away, leaning into the picture. My mom is the one ignoring her and looking at the camera. (laughs) Shocking, right? If you haven't yet experienced the life that's beyond all of this stuff, you can today. You can cross over from the brokenness and the emptiness and the thirst to a life of joy and love and fulfillment by yielding to the Spirit's work in your heart and choosing this day to confess Jesus as Lord. By saying, yes, I believe you are the Messiah we've been waiting for. I believe you're the one I've been waiting for. For life beyond the ordinary is not what we expect because life beyond the ordinary can begin right now. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God, we give you thanks that that Jesus is willing to cross the barriers 
the first barrier, which was from heaven to earth, that he was willing to cross the barriers of male and female, of Jew and Samaritan, in order to reach someone's heart and to let them know that they are loved. Lord, I thank you for the courage of this woman to set aside her water jar and go back into town and proclaim to everyone she could see, come and see the man who told me everything I did, and he still loved me in the midst of it. God, I pray for anyone here that might be longing for that love, that might be thirsting and never truly felt it quenched, that they would say yes today to you. To you be the glory, our Lord Jesus Christ, today and every day. Amen.